Welcome to the Set of the Crime, your weekly Florida and federal criminal case law update podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Lesnetsky of Shorstein, Lesnetsky, and Guy. And each week, I'm going to release one episode reviewing the previous week's Florida DCA and Florida Supreme Court decisions, and one episode reviewing the previous week's 11th Circuit Court of Appeals and U.S. Supreme Court decisions. So whether you're on your way to court, taking a jog, or otherwise have some time to spare, join me each week to get your dose of the latest criminal case opinions. Welcome back to the uh, Set of the Crime podcast. We are reviewing the federal case law updates from August 29th, 2022 through September 2nd, 2022. And we have nine cases on the calendar today. Um, No published decisions this week, only nine unpublished decisions. So let's get started. USAV Acevedo is first up. It was a um, 11th Circuit unpublished decision released on August 29th, 2022. And Acevedo is a substantive reasonableness case where Mr. Acevedo appeals his 168-month sentence for two drug-related convictions. Mr. Acevedo also argued that the trial court clearly erred by unreasonably weighing the 3553A factors. Mr. Acevedo's Guidelines were 168 to 210 months with a 120-month minimum mandatory and a maximum of life. Mr. Acevedo requested the 10-year minimum mandatory, and the government asked for the 168-month lower end of the guidelines. The district court sentenced Mr. Acevedo to 168 months. On appeal, Mr. Acevedo argued that the district court was unreasonable in not granting a downward departure. Mr. Acevedo argued that the district court didn't properly consider his lack of criminal history, that his co-defendants received lower sentences, and that his co-defendants were his brothers. The district court explained that it considered the 3553A factors and that the low end of the guidelines were appropriate because of the large quantity of drugs. The 11th Circuit held that the district court did not abuse its discretion because the district court considered the 3553A factors, the brothers entered plea agreements, and one of their cases had evidentiary issues, and the sentence was within the guidelines and below the statutory maximum. So case affirmed. Our second case today is USA v. Feliz, an 11th Circuit unpublished decision released September 1st of 2022. And Mr. Feliz appeals his 108-month sentence for conspiracy to possess with intent to distribute five kilos or more of cocaine while on board a vessel subject to U.S. jurisdiction. Mr. Feliz and a co-pilot were arrested when the Coast Guard intercepted their boat and confiscated 72 kilos of cocaine. Mr. Feliz failed to stop the boat when the Coast Guard fired warning shots and continued to flee until the Coast Guard fired into the boat's engine, disabling the vessel. Although Mr. Feliz had a 120-month minimum mandatory sentence, the court found that he was safety valve eligible, breaking the minimum mandatory, and that his guidelines were calculated at 108 to 135 months. The district court then sentenced him to 108 months. Mr. Uh, Feliz argues on appeal that the district court erred in applying a two-level enhancement under 3C1.2 for reckless endangerment of another person during flight, and in not assessing a reduction for minor role under 3B1.2. 
reckless endangerment under 3C1.2 states that a defendant's offense level should be increased by two levels if the defendant recklessly created a substantial risk of death or serious bodily injury to another person in the course of fleeing from a law enforcement officer. Reckless means a situation in which the defendant was aware of the risk created by his conduct and the risk was of such a nature and degree that to dis- disregard that risk constituted a gross deviation from the standard of care that a reasonable person would exercise in such a situ- situation. Another person includes any person except a participant in the offense who willingly participated in the flight. To determine whether a substantial risk of death or serious bodily injury exists, 3C1.2 requires only that there was a substantial risk that something could have gone wrong and someone could have died or been seriously injured, and conduct that could potentially harm a law enforcement officer is sufficiently reckless. However, flight alone is insufficient to warrant an enhancement under this section. Here, the 11th Circuit found that Mr. Feliz's sentence was not procedurally unreasonable because Mr. Feliz's co-defendant was not an active participant in the flight, and Mr. Feliz recklessly endangered the Coast Guard personnel during the flight. As for minor role, under 3B1.2 subsection B, a minor participant is someone who is less culpable than most other participants, but whose role could not be described as minimal. This is a fact-intensive totality-of-the-circumstances analysis. The defendant has the burden of proving his mitigating role in the offense by a preponderance of the evidence. The district court should consider, number one, the defendant's role in the relevant conduct for which he has been held accountable for at sentencing, and number two, his role compared to that of the other participants in his relevant conduct. The district court must assess whether the defendant is a minor or minimal participant in relation to the relevant conduct attributed to the defendant in calculating his base offense level. A defendant is not entitled to a mitigating role adjustment when he can point to a broader criminal scheme that he was a minor participant in but was not held accountable for. The district court may only consider other discernible participants who were involved in the relevant conduct attributed to the defendant. A district court should consider these factors. The defendant's degree of understanding of the structure and scope of the criminal activity. The defendant's degree of participation in the organization and planning of the criminal activity. The defendant's degree of decision-making authority or influence over the decision-making authority the defendant's nature and extent of participation in the criminal activity, including his actions and his responsibility and discretion in performing those actions, and how much the defendant stood to benefit from the activity. Here, the 11th Circuit held that the district court did not clearly err in denying the minor role reduction because Mr. Feliz was responsible for possessing cocaine on the vessel, and the district court held him responsible for that, and not for broader conspiracy and because he and his co-pilot on the vessel played similar roles. So the case was affirmed. Our third case today is USA v. Catalano. It was released on August 29, 2022. This is another unpublished 11th Circuit decision. 
Ms. Catalano was convicted of several counts of disaster assistance fraud and making false statements to a federal agency relating to a fraudulent claims that she uh, put in during Hurricane Irma. She filed the direct appeal, but basically alleged ineffective assistance of counsel, which should have been filed as a collateral 2255 motion. Her argument was that her trial counsel was ineffective for advising her to plead guilty to a notice of maximum penalties rather than a plea agreement. If she pled to the proposed plea agreement, her guidelines would have been 27 to 33 months, but she would have had to have entered an appeal waiver. Because there was no plea agreement, she pled to an additional count. Her guidelines were 33 to 41 months, but she preserved her right to appeal. The district court sentenced Ms. Catalano to 30 months, which was below her guidelines and would have been within the guidelines if she had entered the plea agreement. The 11th Circuit first noted that the court will not generally consider claims of ineffective assistance of counsel raised on direct appeal. There is a narrow exception when the record about the ineffective assistance of counsel claim is sufficiently developed. In this case, the 11th Circuit determined that Ms. Catalano's ineffective assistance claim was nearly non-existent and therefore found her appeal meritless. In a footnote, the court did note the decision was without prejudice to file a 2255 motion, but the decision pretty much guaranteed her that the 11th Circuit would not be receptive to the arguments presented in this case. Case affirmed. Our fourth case today is USA v. Devlin, an 11th Circuit unpublished decision that was released on August 31st, 2022. Devlin's a criminal forfeiture case where Mr. Devlin, who pled guilty to sexual exploitation of a child, agreed to the criminal forfeiture of his interests in the hotel where the crime occurred. The district court entered a preliminary order of forfeiture and then later entered an amended order pending a sale of the property forfeiting an amount equal to $1,552,588.62 to the government in lieu of his interest. A few days later, the district court entered a final order of forfeiture. Mr. Devlin did not appeal. Five years later, Mr. Devlin filed several motions challenging the forfeiture, arguing that he had no interest in the property. The district court denied the motions, finding that he had no standing, and the 11th Circuit dismissed his appeals for lack of jurisdiction, agreeing that he did not have standing. The issue on appeal here was an order by the district court barring Mr. Devlin from filing any further motions related to criminal forfeiture. On appeal, the 11th Circuit discussed standing, and criminal forfeiture, which I thought was interesting because I wasn't that familiar with either issue. So I thought I'd discuss it here for those of you who haven't dealt with criminal forfeiture on a regular basis. When a criminal defendant pleads guilty and agrees to forfeiture, the district court enters a preliminary forfeiture order. At sentencing, the preliminary forfeiture order becomes final for the defendant and extinguishes his interest in the property. The district court may then conduct ancillary proceedings to assess the interests of third parties in the forfeited property. At the conclusion of the ancillary proceedings, the district court enters a final order of forfeiture. A defendant has standing to challenge a preliminary order of forfeiture because that order causes his injury. 
but has no standing to challenge a final order because his interest has already been extinguished by the preliminary order. Here, the 11th Circuit held that the district court had no authority to modify the criminal forfeiture through collateral attacks, and he failed to directly appeal within the filing deadline. The 11th Circuit also held that the district court's injunction on Mr. Devlin filing further motions related to the criminal forfeiture was proper because it was was reasonable. It didn't preclude him from filing any motions, and just those uh, it just uh, precluded him from filing those motions related to the criminal forfeiture, which the court found was amply litigated. Case affirmed. Our fifth case today is USA v. Eatman. And uh, Eatman is a case that was sent back down to the 11th Circuit from the U.S. Supreme Court in light of the U.S. Supreme Court's decision in Concepcion. And it's an 11th Circuit unpublished decision that was released September 1st of 2022. Concepcion held that the First Step Act allows district courts to consider any intervening changes of law or fact in exercising their discretion to reduce a sentence pursuant to the First Step Act. Mr. Eatman had filed a motion for a sentence reduction based on a change in the sentencing guidelines. The district court, in denying Mr. Eatman's motion, stated that it had discretion to reduce his sentence, but used its discretion not to because of his disciplinary record while in prison. The district court, however, did not discuss on the record whether it could and whether it did consider intervening changes of law. The U.S. Supreme Court remanded to the 11th Circuit to remand to the district court to state on the record whether it considered intervening changes in the law because the First Step Act requires the district courts to consider intervening changes when parties raise them, which was the case here. So case vacated and remanded. Our sixth case today is USA v. Lee. This is an 11th Circuit unpublished decision out of August uh, 31st, 2022. And Lee involves a complicated and messy procedural history with several filings from a pro se inmate. The gist is that Mr. Lee wanted a sentence reduction based on retroactive application of sentence guideline uh, changes to the drug quantity tables. The only problem is that on appeal, the 11th Circuit noted that he was attempting to double count a two-level reduction in the base offense based on those changes in the sentencing guidelines. On top of that, even if the reduction was double counted, his guidelines would have been the same, which was 360 months to life. So the case was affirmed. Our seventh case today is USA v. Moore. It's an 11th Circuit unpublished decision that was released August 29th, 2022. And Moore is a substantive uh, reasonableness case where Mr. Moore appeals his 96-month sentence for access device fraud and aggravated identity theft. He was initially arrested under the name George Bookard, which was an identity of a real person. Mr. Moore affirmed that he was George Bookard on several occasions before the magistrate judge and probation. It wasn't until after several hearings that his true identity was discovered. 
His base offense level was 6 under 2B1.1 subsection A2. He received a 14-level enhancement under 2B1.1 subsection B1H for loss between 550000 and $1.5 million. He received a 6-level enhancement under 2B1.1 subsection B2A1 for more than 10 victims, a 2-level enhancement for object- obstruction for providing false identity to the magistrate judge, and a three-level reduction for acceptance of uh, responsibility for a total offense level of 21. He had a criminal history category of two. The aggravated identity theft statute requires a two-year consecutive sentence to count one. So Mr. Moore's total guideline range was 37 to 46 months plus the 24 months from count two for a total of 61 to 70 months. The government recommended a sentence of 70 months. The district court varied upward and sentenced him to 96 months. Brutal. On appeal, the 11th Circuit held that the sentence was substantively reasonable. It was well below the 120-month maximum sentence, and the 3553A factors supported the sentence because of the impact on the victims and the need to afford deterrence. The 11th Circuit also found that the district court was correct in finding that several factors weren't adequately accounted for in the guidelines, including the amount of victims, there were 100, the injury to the real Mr. Booker, who stated that his situation ruined his life, and the number of times he misrepresented his identity to federal judges and a federal probation officer. Case affirmed. Our eighth case today is USA v. Saldana. This is an 11th Circuit unpublished decision that was released September 1st, 2022. And Saldana is a compassionate release case where Mr. Saldana had end-stage kidney disease and had an amputated leg, making him wheelchair-bound. He filed a motion for a sentence reduction under the First Step Act, and the district court did determine that the end-stage kidney disease itself was an extraordinary and compelling reason to reduce a sentence. However, that is only the first part of the analysis. The court next turns to the 3553A sentencing factors to determine whether a sentence reduction is appropriate. Here, the district court found that the 3553A factors weighed against a sentence reduction because Mr. Saldana was the ringleader of a drug house, and the court was concerned he would reoffend based on his criminal history and long prison uh, sentence and did not think that his release plan was sufficient to meet his medical needs or to prevent recidivism. The district court also found that even though his co-defendants received sentence reductions, there was no sentence disparity because they were not in the same leadership role as Mr. Saldana. So the district court denied the motion. And on appeal, the 11th Circuit ruled that the district court adequately considered the 3553A factors and did not abuse its discretion in denying the motion. Case affirmed. Brutal. Our ninth case today is USA v. Weaver. It's an 11th Circuit unpublished decision that was released on August 31st, 2022. Weaver is a Fair Sentencing Act sentence reduction case 
where Mr. Weaver was initially sentenced under the First Step Act amended guidelines. After he was sentenced to life uh, subsequent to the Fair Sentencing Act, he filed a motion to reduce his sentence based on that act. The district court denied the motion, finding that it lacked authorization because he had already been sentenced under the Fair Sentencing Act. On appeal, the 11th Circuit noted that the district court may not entertain a motion from a defendant who already benefited from the Fair Sentencing Act by having his sentence imposed or reduced in accordance with Sections 2 or 3 of that act. Because Mr. Weaver benefited from the Fair Sentencing Act in his original sentencing, the district court lacked authority to reduce his sentence any further. Therefore, the 11th Circuit granted the government's motion for summary affirmance. Case affirmed. And that's a wrap. I'm your host, Jeremy Lesnetsky with Shorstein, Lesnetsky, and Guyon. And this was another episode of the Site of the Crime podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the like button. And if you'd like to keep up to date on all the latest criminal law cases, subscribe to the Site of the Crime. And if you like the show, please review us. This will help your colleagues find us, and they too can stay up to date. Each week, we'll release separate Florida and federal criminal law episodes with the previous week's court opinions. Look in the episode description for timestamps for each case in each jurisdiction. Thanks for joining us at the site of the crime.